Welcome to the 10th Muse podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Helena. And I'm Siobhan. And we're here to tell you all about the women through history that we think deserve the coveted title of the 10th Muse. So hold on, what does the 10th Muse actually mean? Well, in Greek mythology, there were nine muses who were goddesses of poetic inspiration, who influenced the greatest creators and philosophers through history. The famous philosopher Plato once called the female poet Sappho the 10th muse because he believed her talents were so great that she was worthy of that title. That's right. So we're here to talk about a unique collection of women through history that have done amazing things. From activists to artists, scientists to singers, these women are not the women you already know. No. Instead, these are the women who we think should join Sappho's ranks and deserve the status of the 10th muse. We hope you enjoy hearing about these women as much as we do. Welcome to episode four of the 10th Muse. We've got a slightly different setup this week because we are recording from inside the quarantine. So quarantine edition. <laughs> exactly. We've got our own pirate radio setup um, <laughs> made of a makeshift trestle table in my bedroom up in Northumberland and Siobhan is down in Widnes. What's yours like, Siobhan? I'm on two pop-up tables in my conservatory. So if I'm a bit echoey, that's where I am. And there's a fly in here, so I hope that doesn't fly around and you hear that either. But the joy of a home recording is that I do have cider with me for this recording. But yeah, so I can drink. I'm not in a high-tech radio studio where I can't have any food or drink, so that's quite good. Nice. Yeah. That sounds really good. So obviously the sound quality is going to be a little bit different this week because obviously Mm -hmm. coronavirus has shut down our uni and we can't get into any of our studios. But... We are soldiering on, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) And we're still going to be releasing on Fridays as normal. Um, We might even have a cheeky little episode for you next week as well. Yeah, I think you'll be surprised. We might actually be more frequent now, know you knew what to do. And maybe some little fun things on the side, maybe in the pipeline. We'll see. We'll see. I'm now going to crack open my cider. I might just do it right down the microphone. Alright, cool. So, um, um, who is your 10th muse this week, Siobhan? Take it away. My 10th muse this week, I've gone for someone who I'm going to call an aviator extraordinaire. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Um, who, her, her name was Jacqueline Cochran, or Jackie Cochran. Never heard of her. Never heard of her? So I'm going with her because it's like she's lesser known than people like Amelia Earhart, who people obviously pretty much have heard of universally but yeah she had a pretty insane life and she holds a lot of like records that have never been beaten and things like that but I'll obviously get into that okay so she was born Bessie Lee Pittman on the 11th of May 1906 in Pensacola Florida to Mary and Ira Pittman she was the youngest of five kids Uh, and in about 1920 when she was 13 or 14 she married Robert Cochran she gets married like 1914 and yeah and they have a son together Robert who actually sadly died in 1925 when he was only five years old so they obviously it's not it's pretty ill-fated marriage they end up splitting up um but she keeps her surname and she begins going around by the name Jacqueline or Jackie as well so that's where she that's how she becomes Jackie Cochran so she becomes a hairdresser and she eventually ends up in New York City where she used her looks and personality to get a job at the prestigious salon on Saks Fifth mm-hmm. Avenue. So yeah, she's kind of with the rich and famous in New York, but she tends to deny her family and her past. So she kind of moves away from the whole rags to riches idea. She kind of doesn't want to embrace that 
She remains in touch with them and she provides for them over the years and some of her family even moved to her ranch in California when she remarried later on. But they were always instructed to say that they were her adopted family. Okay. And so she just basically wanted to hide from the public these, like, early chapters of her life. And she was pretty successful in doing so until after she died. Like, a lot of people think she was adopted, but she actually wasn't. So I don't really know what her thought process was with that, but that's what she did. Basically, after she's offered a ride in an aircraft, she becomes obsessed. And she starts taking flying lessons at Roosevelt Airfield in Long Island in the early 1930s. And she actually learned to fly a plane in just three wow. weeks. Wow. So wow. Yeah. So she's a fast learner, obviously really skilled at it from the get-go. She then flies solo, and within two years, she obtains her commercial pilot's license. So she's really fast, like, learner. She wow. just took up it really, like, really yeah. quickly. Yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. So then in 1936, she marries Floyd Bostwick Oldham following a divorce. He was 14 years older than her and was the founder of Atlas Corp and the CEO of RKO in Hollywood. So he was supposedly at this time one of the 10 richest wow. men in the world. And they get married. Good on her. So she wanted to get into cosmetics and he encourages that. He completely encourages everything she does. So she calls her cosmetics line Wings to Beauty and she flies her own aircraft around the country promoting her I products. love this. Yeah, literally. So she's she's just a woman doing it herself and like her husband's supporting her and it's it's all pretty great. Um, and he actually uses his connections in Hollywood later on to get Marilyn Monroe to endorse her wow. line of lipstick. So he's kind of just supporting everything she does. and That's what we love to see. He's quite a savvy like, businessman. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> So she's. I'm going to tell you sort of some of their achievements. Basically, I'm going to give you uh-huh. a little roundup. So she was sometimes called the Speed Queen because at the time of her death, no pi- other pilot held more speed, distance, or altitude records in aviation history than wow. her. She was one of only three women to compete in the McRobertson Erd race in 1934. She was the only woman to compete in the Bendix race in 1937, and she worked with Amelia Earhart to open the race to women. So they kind nice. of worked together to encourage other women to get involved uh, and then in 1937 she also sets a new women's world speed record and so yeah by 1938 she's considered the best female pilot in the u.s she's won the bendix race and set a new transcontinental speed record as well as altitude records she won five Harmon trophies which i did a little google is that's an international trophy which is awarded annually to the world's outstanding avia oh, wow. and so she got that five times then she obviously if you're paying attention to dates here, we're running up towards World yeah. War Two. So, before the US joined World War Two, Cochrane was part of the Wings for Britain, which is an organisation that ferried American-built aircraft to Britain, and she was the first woman to fly a bomber across wow. the Atlantic. Pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah, she's just doing it. She's out there. And she also, she kind of really was trying to push for women to be in the war effort in a more real way, and not just sort of supporting the men and... Um, not necessarily getting into... Well, I'll get into this, but she wasn't necessarily trying to sort of get women into combat roles, but be more hands-on in terms of facilitating mm. that. So, yeah, so in Britain, she volunteers for the RAF, and for several months, she works with the for the British uh, Transport Auxiliary, where she attained the rank of flight captain, which is equivalent to squadron leader in the RAF or a major in the wow. US Air Force. And with them, she worked recruiting qualified women pilots in the US and taking them to England so they could join the war effort. Basically, she's really pushing for this. So in September 1939, Jackie writes to Eleanor Roosevelt to propose starting a women's flying division in the US Mm -hmm. Air Force. So she feels that, obviously, qualified pilots should do all of the domestic, non-combat aviation jobs necessary in order to release more male pilots for combat. 
you know, she she pictures herself in command of these women if it went ahead. She kind of is kind of like, there's this many talented female pilots, why are they not getting more involved? And we can send the people who you're only allowing to be on the front lines mm. to the front lines. And, you know, it's more of, she wants them to back up the war effort. Well, that makes really. sense. Yeah, well, exactly. But at the same time, it's so obvious to us now that, like, surely that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it just wasn't the norm yeah, at all. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I agree um, so... She writes to Lieutenant Colonel Robert Olds to suggest the same thing as what she suggested to Eleanor Roosevelt. And in early 1941, he asks Jackie to find out how many women pilots there were in the US, what their flying times were, what their skills were, their interest in flying for their country, and personal information about them, which she did. She, like, collated all this information. And then Lieutenant General Henry H. Arnold suggested that Jackie take a group of qualified female pilots to see what the British were doing um, obviously over in England so she asked 76 of the most qualified female pilots to come with her and fly for the ATA which obviously if you remember is that kind of company she'd mm-hmm. been working with when she went away to do this Arnold kind of promised her that he, anything on the US wouldn't go ahead until she got back which wasn't necessarily Ooh, true okay I'll get into that in a second so they had training tests up in Canada and so 25 of them passed and then in March 1942 they went with Jackie to England to join the ATA while she's in England in September 1942, General Arnold actually authorised the formation of the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, or WAFs, under the direction of another female aviator, Nancy Harkness Love, who's another like major name in female aviation at this time. So he didn't really hold up his end of the promise there. He's like, oh yeah, go and find all these women to right. be part of this squadron. But then he w- goes ahead with making it uh-huh. when she's not there, basically. So yeah, so the WAFs, they begin at Newcastle Air Base in Wilmington, Delaware, and when she hears about them, she returns immediately from England, and her stance was that her experience in England had convinced her that women pilots could be trained to do way more than ferrying military aircraft, which is what, obviously, she was doing, she'd originally been kind of pushing for. She's kind of like, oh, actually, the women in Britain are doing a lot more, yeah. so we should. So she lobbies for Arnold to expand flying opportunities and he ends up sanctioning the creation of the Women's Flying Training Detachment, the WFTD, uh, which was headed by Jackie Cockburn. Mm-hmm. So she ends up sort of in charge of this whole division in the Army or wow. in the Air Force, basically. In 1943, the WAFs and the WFTD merged to create the Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP. And so Cochrane was director of WASP and Harkness Love, who I mentioned before, she was in charge of, like, the the WAFs element they just all sort of merged together but she was director of of the whole the overall program and so as director she supervised the training of hundreds of women pilots in Texas from August 1943 to December 1944 she just sort of really pushed for women to be part of the war effort in an actual sort of tangible way and really spearheaded it you know after the war for her wartime service, she received the Distinguished Service Medal in 1945, wow. and then she was hired by a magazine to report on global post-war events. And so, this is what I mean, while she was doing this, she witnessed Japanese General Tomoyuki Yamashita's surrender in the Philippines, and then she was the first non-Japanese woman to enter Japan after wow. the war. Wow. She's just yeah, in she's it, right <laughs> in the thick of it. A bit like Martha Gellon. So yeah, I'm literally. I, that's what I was thinking about when I read this part, actually, was was Miss yeah. Gellon, you know, right there Throwback on the front lines. <laughs> that's a little Easter egg for all of you long-time listeners. <laughs> but yeah, so she she even attends the Nuremberg trials in Germany, so she's kind of in all of these major moments in history. She's right there oh, reporting yeah. on them. 
So on the 9th of September 1948, she joins the US Air Force Reserve as a lieutenant colonel. So she's like properly wow, in the US Air yeah. Force now. She's not pretty you high know, ranking though. in this like secondary unit. Yeah, really high ranking. She's she's actually she's actually promoted to colonel in 1969 right before she retires in 1970. So they kind of promoted her to colonel. She's like, "Okay, cool, I'm mm. done now." <laughs> That's yeah, all she's I wanted. Wanted the title. And then so she's She's probably the first like woman pilot in the US Air Force and during her career she received three awards of the Distinguished Flying Cross. So she broke down some boundaries there yeah. for other women. Wow. Yeah, I mean it it doesn't even end. Oh, wow. I've got okay. it <laughs> so <laughs> she's got this massive list of achievements really. Like it it is insane. So she has all these other flying records. So she became the first woman pilot to go supersonic because she broke the sound barrier on the 18th of May, 1953 at Rogers Dry Lake nice. in California. She was the first woman to land and take off from an aircraft carrier. She's the first woman to make a blind landing. The only woman to ever, ever even to this day, be president of the Federation Aeronautique Internationale. The first woman to fly a fixed-wing jet aircraft across the Atlantic. The first pilot to fly above twenty. The first pilot, like yeah. period, to fly above twenty thousand feet with an oxygen mask, and the first woman to enter the Bendix transcontinental race. Wow, a whole list. Her entire career was just like breaking That's boundaries. Good. Really, um, she actually still holds more distance and speed records than any pilot, living or dead, male what? or female. What? No. Yeah. But you haven't heard of her because I well I don't know I guess she didn't go missing in mysterious yeah. circumstances. Oh. But that's not a knock on Amelia Earhart. I find her really fascinating yeah. as well. But yeah, so in the nineteen sixties, this is where she lets me down a little bit because I'm a bit of a space nerd and um, I I'm into all the NASA <laughs> yeah, yeah. sort of stuff. We can have a whole. I'll probably end up covering an astronaut or two. So, in the 1960s, she was a sponsor of the Mercury 13 program. Have you ever heard no. of that program? So, there's actually a really cool documentary on Netflix you can watch about it, um, literally called, like, Mercury mm-hmm. 13, which, basically, this was an early effort in the 60s to test the ability of women to be astronauts. So, it's in amongst, you know, obviously, all the major yeah. space exploration, which the happened in the 60s. Races. They were like, oh, well, maybe women could do it. Yeah, exactly, right in the space race. So... They tested 13 women, that's why it's the Mercury 13 program. 13 women pilots would pass the same preliminary tests as the male astronauts of the Mercury program before it was cancelled. So there was like, the whole program was Mercury and then (coughs) male and female astronauts were tested. And yeah, it it, it ended up being cancelled. So Cochrane initially supported the program, but she was later responsible for delaying further phases of testing and might have actually contributed to the eventual cancellation Eh. of the program. Yeah, well, so, it's generally accepted that she turns against the programme because she would no longer be known as the most prominent female aviator. Ah, uh, right. And so, yeah, it's a bit of an ego trip, mm. it sounds like. She even argued against bringing women into the space programme before a special subcommittee of the House Committee on Science and Astronautics, but she was also, like, a lifelong Republican, so, like, did we really expect mm. anything less from her? She actually ends up not thinking that women should be contributing in this way. But it could have been just a bit of an ego trip, really. Yeah, a bit confusing. Not entirely sure. Yeah, like, they could have literally broke boundaries. I mean, she's been there breaking boundaries for however long for women, and then suddenly she just didn't want them to be involved in space exploration. So, not sure, but that that program ended up being cancelled, and then it was several years then until a woman went into space. But we won't divulge into space talk, because that'll be a different episode when I cover some, yeah. some women who went into space. 
despite that, she's still like an amazing woman. I mean, she even ran for Congress in 1956 from California's 29th congressional district as the candidate for the Republican Party. So she lost the like a really close election to the Democratic candidate, but he was the the first Asian American congressman. So that was Dilip Singh Sound, and I want to apologize if I've just butchered yeah. that name. <laughs> but yeah, so she lost a close election with him basically. She just had this insane life and she she passed away on the 9th of August in 1980 at her home in Indio, California. And she was a long-time resident of the Coachella Valley, so she's buried in Coachella Valley Public Cemetery. Oh. And yeah, her like her I just think she's my 10th muse really because her aviation accomplishments never sort of gained the continued media attention that like the likes of Amelia yeah. Earhart have and she I think her use of her husband's like wealth and the fact he kind of bolstered her career, the, side, the monetary side of things, I think that reduces the rags to riches part of her life story as well. Like, she downplayed the fact she came from essentially nothing, yeah. like, was one of five kids and then became this amazing aviator, really. And I think she downplayed that, really. She has this massive list of achievements, yeah. like I say, we, like, I've already listed them. Aside from um, that as well, like, had multiple yeah, so... pursuits. Like, she obviously was this amazing... Um, pilot but also you know she was a journalist she was you know running for congress she had this this makeup line like that's so cool yeah yeah she's just like yeah has kind of you know her eyes set on all these different aspects of life really she wasn't stuck to one sort of career path and she yeah kept branching out and I mean she could have stuck to that cosmetics business and never yeah pursued anything but I also think it says a lot that she she got in a plane once and then was like oh I'm gonna learn to fly and did it in like yeah. three weeks so it's like it's insane she obviously was a really you know intelligent mind and like could really put yeah. herself to a task and so yeah in that in that respect I find it quite inspirational really but I hold it against her that she helped Mercury 13 yeah happen, that would have been really cool but I, I think we'll never know the, the full reasoning for that I don't yeah, think yeah it's kind um, of speculative yeah, no one really, uh, there's no, or at least I couldn't find any sort of documented thing of her specifically saying why yeah. she didn't want it to, like, she didn't want it to happen suddenly. You know, the whole ego thing, that could have just been what the astronauts who couldn't then do it. Yeah, sort of said. exactly. Um, who knows? But yeah, I think if you want to hear about any other amazing aviators, like I say, there's that documentary on Netflix, and I just think these women are really worth looking into because they're the pioneers of this. Like, this is at a time where flight was not safe and it wasn't kind of what we think of as like just day-to-day travel anymore this was really like life and death yeah doing it and breaking all these records and yeah so my 10th muse this week is Jacqueline Cochran and that's that's my contribution to the quarantine episode one oh oh, that's really interesting I really like that she sounds like a cool person despite the fact that she uh stopped the Mercury 13 project but uh yeah not single-handedly though I think yeah. it's important to say as well with that a lot of men spoke out about it as well notably John Glenn that was a name in there I really noticed he was um you know one of the pioneers of American space travel he is for anyone who has like um cultural references are easier I guess in Hidden Figures that film we've spoken about before he's the part he's the astronaut in that film so yeah it, it's it wasn't just her, yeah. you know, it was these major... Obviously, the men making decisions as well. It wasn't yeah, down to enough. her. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, so... <laughs> and I'm really intrigued to hear who yours is this week, Yeah. Because I've been told that 
I'm, I will find her really interesting, and I've been told that, like, Helen has basically done a lot of research here. So I'm not sure what to expect here, everyone. I'm buckling in yeah. with you all on this quarantine well, journey. Well, my person <laughs> is someone that I've known about for a little while um, through one of my courses in English Lit when I did my undergrad. Um, the only mm-hmm. kind of heads up I gave to Siobhan before this was that she was an actor and a revolutionary. So I kind of left her on tenterhooks, yeah. but it's someone you're going to find yeah. really interesting. So my my tenth okay. views this week. She's she's grinning, everyone. <laughs> I'm so excited. She's I love, grinning. I love her. She knows that she's got she's a good so in. Cool. Okay, sorry. Who is your my tenth, tenth views, views this week? Then, this week is Maud Gone. Have you ever heard of her? No, I no. don't think I have. Okay. No. Buckle in. Oh, she's really she's cocky now, everyone. She's she is she's excited. Okay, so <laughs> Go Maud on. Gone was born. 21st of December 1866 she was English born but had Irish descent her mum died when she was just a child and so her father was like a, a diplomat and in the army and um, he sent her to boarding school in France she spends a lot of her time kind mm-hmm. of between Ireland and France um, in her life so the Gons came from County Mayo originally mm-hmm. um, after boarding school she went to stay with her her dad in Dublin in 1882 and she stayed with him until he died. Shortly after that she fell ill with tuberculosis and returned back to Paris. At that time right. she fell in love with a right-wing politician called Lucien Milvoy, mm-hmm. I think is his name, um, who was very mm-hmm. anti-English, which influenced Morgan a lot because she was an Irish revolutionary. Um, really anti-English, um, and okay. Um, I love that you're doing an Irish revolutionary because this opens up so many doors to who I yeah. wanted to do for ages now. But I didn't think I could be the crazy. This um, uh, this woman is crazy. I don't know, Irish revolutionary talking about it. No, I just didn't think I could like necessarily. Yeah. We'll talk about this after. Yeah. But I'm I'm liking this. Go on. I'll sit back with there my will, cider. There'll be some more um, <laughs> notable names later on that you, you definitely will have heard mm-hmm. of. Um, one okay. specifically um, that, like, literally, basically everyone's heard of. Okay. So, but we'll get on to that later. Um, so, um, where did I get up to? Okay, so her and uh, Lucien, they... So he was also married at this point. So, a little bit, little okay. bit dodgy. He, as a kind of French right-wing politician, they were very interested in, like, reclaiming all their, like, traditional um, lands, so, like, um, Alsace-Lorraine. She agreed to help him get that back, and he agreed to help her fight for Irish independence from um, Britain. So, Mm -hmm. she returned to Ireland um, and worked to release Irish political prisoners from jail um, and then went on lecture circuits around the US in order to rally support and educate people on what was happening in Ireland because at the time um, obviously um, it was you know British rule in Ireland um, and there was a lot mm. of injustices that were happening so like people who spoke out against the government were being sent to prison people were getting evicted from their homes which was something that she she saw firsthand and she was really struck by how awful it was so as they were being evicted the british press labeled labeled the evictions as self-defense however 
So she wrote an article um, saying how it was a pretty one-sided battle and she had um, photographic evidence of like old people being evicted from their homes. So she had a, you know, a pretty Mm -hmm. good kind of argument against them. Yeah, so basically she went around kind of bolstering the anti-British feeling um, for Ireland. During this time, she also founded um, an organisation called the Daughters of Ireland, which appealed to the women. And she also met uh, W.B. Yeats, the poet. You heard of Yeats? Yeah, yeah of course good, I okay. heard Yeats. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, you paused for a second imagine, and I was worried. Imagine, I think that might have ended our friendship then. I think that might have crumbled. Well, because I'd literally been like, oh, everyone's heard of this person. Then I was like, oh, God, wait, what if she hasn't? (laughs) Um, (laughs) What if if she's never heard? Okay, yeah, everyone's heard of Yeats. Yeats was uh, an Irish poet who wrote, he was one of the leaders of the modernist movement um, in the early kind of, like, no, early 20th century, late 19th century. And he wrote a lot, obviously, he was kind of the face of Irish nationalism, Weirdly, because he was very on the fence and wasn't really a nationalist. Um, yeah, okay. so it's it's a bit of a, a weird... He was like... He, he liked to write about it, but he wasn't really interested in kind of doing any of the explicit, like, revolutionary work like she was. So they met in 1889... Um, and he fell in love with her pretty much instantly. Um, and so there's a dis- description of her from Yeats's biographer, R.F. Foster. Mm-hmm. So she, he said that she was majestic, unearthly, immensely tall, bronze-haired, with a strong profile and beautiful skin. She was fantasiac la beauty in Valkyrie mode. So she was this, like, tall, beautiful. I heard that she was, like, over six God, foot. God, th- you know, I think I think he fancied he her a bit. totally I'm getting did. that impression. Um, I think he was into her a bit. I think he was subtle about it. It was subtle. Just a little bit that subtle. That was, uh, was really um, understated, but... He also yeah. wrote about their first meeting. Um, he said, a handsome, which is like a carriage, drove up to our door at Bedford Park with Miss Maud gone. And the troubling of my life began, which is, I think that's funny. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> they um, they kind of originally met because with her organisation, the Daughters of Ireland, which was like, um, it was obviously for like women and revolutionaries. She wanted a play to be created for that. And so he, with another Irish revolutionary called um, Lady Gregory, wrote a play called Kathleen Nihulihan, which I will come back to later. Um, okay. So they met in 1889. It's The timeline here is a bit confused because obviously she was still in a, in a relationship with Lucien. She returned to France in 1890 mm-hmm. and had a son with him, George, who died in 1891, but it's unsure whether she was pregnant with him when she met Yates or if it was, like, just after that she fell pregnant. Right, okay. Um, So she was pretty distraught by her son's death. She split with Lucien. And then through Yates, she came across this, like, spiritual society called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It was, like... As I said, it's a spiritual society. It believed in, like, reincarnation and people's souls being able to, to um, like, transmigrate through closeness. I don't really know. Right. But, yeah, so essentially she she joined because she kind of hoped that 
she'd be able to reincarnate her son. Right. Oh, no. This bit is a bit gross. So, because of this, so she wanted to have a, a, a another child with George's father, Lucien. So... They went back to Paris and there's like a little riverside town just outside of Paris where he's buried. And she asked if he would meet her at George's like mausoleum and they had sex next to the the baby's tomb. So like to try and conceive a baby who George's soul would transmigrate to. So bit dodgy. Yeah. She did have a baby. So in 1894, she had another baby called Isolt little girl but she like completely distanced herself from Isolt to the point where later in life she wouldn't call her her daughter in public so she called her a kinswoman or cousin right it was really weird and Isolt wasn't even mentioned in Maud's will um what yeah it was messed That's up so... yeah <laughs> it's really messed up their relationship um, but it, it's kind of I'm unsure as to whether they had a bad one because later on in life when they did like revolutionary work, they're kind of mentioned together a lot. So it's I'm confused. It was. I feel like I don't know. I feel like it might be slightly bad considering she wasn't in the yeah. will. That's that's not a I good don't, sign. I don't know why though. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, while all this was happening, like she'd become a really notable actress in Ireland in the 1880s. And that play that Yeats wrote for her, Kathleen yeah. Houlihan, um, it like Kathleen Houlihan was alongside the figure of Rasheen. They were like in mythology, in Irish mythology, as like represented Ireland. Yeah. Often like countries or like things were depicted as women so people could like rally behind them and stuff Mm -hmm. so Kathleen and um Rasheen were the figures of Ireland couldn't be Siobhan I know has to be has to be be my Um, sister's name can't be Siobhan Kathleen although she was modeled after like the mythological figure she like Yeats off Yeats kind of wrote her based on Gone um and also got her to play Kathleen when it when it opened I was gonna tell you about the play because it's actually really interesting um yeah so it's it's like a very linked to like the Irish like Republican cause. So it's set in a like a small house in Ireland where there's a man with his family. He's about to get married, um, and a young boy runs up to the house and says, "There's an old woman coming." The old woman says she's lost all of her fields, um, north, south, east, and west, referencing the four corners of Ireland, and talks about how over the years many men have died for the love of her, and they're all buried under her green fields. So. All the while she's talking, the man begins to kind of forget everything about his, like, wedding and his life. He doesn't really care about that. And he's really engrossed by the woman, really entranced by her. And she's just this old hag who's come in. Um, So it's really confusing as to why. As this is happening, there's, like, noise in the background of people congregating, like like a mob. And as the woman leaves, the young man follows her and everyone's like, why Why are you leaving? You're getting married tomorrow. What the hell? And then the play ends with someone saying that an army has landed on the coast and the family say, oh, did you see, you know, our son leave with that old woman? And they say, no, we only saw a really beautiful, tall goddess of a woman walking down the street. And basically um, it represents... So Kathleen is like, you know, the old woman and the beautiful woman. Um, so 
her beauty is only revealed to those who are like faithful to her and she's rallying Mm -hmm. men to come and fight against i think at the time i think it was in the play it's about the french army however it's about like obviously the british army so like getting yeah she's like rallying men to come and fight and die for love of her against the british army so very republican very Very, like a rallying play um for men but also like for the women as well because like Mm -hmm. that they're presented as like you know he he followed a a woman to go and fight for ireland Mm -hmm. and so like it rallied a lot of like the female republicans as well yeah so her and Yates were very strongly linked throughout both of their lives like although you know he was very in love with her she she was quite non-committal about that um he proposed to her so many times and she turned him down every time partially because he was quite on the fence about um Irish Republic like his nationalism but also because she believed that great poets couldn't find love and like so they had they had to be kind of like slightly unhappy so he told her when when he said how unhappy he was she said oh yes you are because you make beautiful poetry out of what you call your unhappiness and you're happy in that marriage would be such a dull affair poets should never marry the world would thank me for not marrying you because obviously he was like the greatest poet of like you know in ireland but also in like the british isles as well like he was a worldwide leading modernist who wrote very sad poems about how lonely he was so if he'd been happy arguably in her opinion they, he wouldn't have made all those great poems so he she turned him down and in 1903 she married the irish soldier and republican major john mcbride instead yates was so upset about this and he because he despised mcbride because he, he well partially because he was like a republican a nationalist and he like was against like violence which the like irish republican cause at the time was very it it condoned a lot of violence and and so yeah he he really didn't like that at all he also he was upset because mcbride had taken his muse and maud had converted to catholicism and he was afraid that she'd end up doing like the priest's bidding throughout his life he wrote quite a lot of poems about her um because he was obviously completely tormented by the fact that she was so beautiful and you know she'd got really involved with him but like had turned him down time and time again in his poetry he often compares her to um helen from greek mythology um so you know helen who married paris and um caused the trojan war so there's a lot there's lots of parallels because like she like Helen's a willful woman who marries the man she wants to regardless of the consequences which is like you know arguably what what Maud Garn's done for love you know they're they're both obviously very beautiful as well like Yates talks all the time about how beautiful she is and obviously Helen is the most beautiful woman in the world and caused the Trojan War so in one of his poems No Second Troy he says how she couldn't help turning his life into misery because her beauty was so unnatural in a time like that and there wasn't another city to burn um so instead she teaches republican violence to people who are less educated than she was and encourages them to destroy their lives through committing these acts of violence also in another one of his poems called um prayer to my so basically he's just a bit 
Yeah, he's salty. so salty. Oh, oh my god, you should hear this one though. Like, actually, he needs he's, to get yeah. over it. Ugh, in okay. in <laughs> another on, one um, called "A Prayer to My Daughter," he hopes his daughter yeah. won't grow up so beautiful um, that she makes men distraught when they look at her, or that she loses natural kindness by being so beautiful. Basically, saying. I hope you grow up to be everything that Morgan wasn't. So he's like so right. so bitter. That's his like daughter. I know, as well. I know. Like, get a um, he references Helen in this poem as well. Prior to my daughter, almost explicitly referencing Maud, saying how she was fatherless because yeah. um, Maud's father had died before she and Yates met. It says how um, she found life was flat and dull after she was chosen by the goddess and calls the man um, she chose a fool and bandy-legged smith, which obviously demeans kind of manual work, which you can say that, like, being a smith and being, like, a soldier in the army like McBride was, arguably they're both manual work, so he's kind of demeaning um, McBride as well there um, and saying how... Helen found life was flat and dull after she was chosen by the goddess to be so beautiful, as did Maud Gone when she was, like, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, like, tons of poems saying, like, you know, it's bad, it's so bad to be so beautiful, like, you, you're never going to be happy, I never want my daughter to be like that. He has a poem called Never Give All the Heart, where he's like, you should never give out your whole heart to people because I'll just throw it away. So he's really, really... He's, he's so, so ridiculous. Bitter. He sounds like an emo He literally teenager. is, but he was like he's not one of those celebrated modernist poets. Um, so it's quite yeah. funny. So if yeah. you're currently an, e- an emo teen listening to this, writing probably terrible poetry in your bedroom, there's still hope for you. There's there's hope. <laughs> um, there's some positivity for yeah. us all. Write your emo quarantine yeah, exactly. poetry and you might become the most famous poet exactly um unfortunately even though she arguably married major john mcbride for love like her relationship was pretty bad and um when they filed for divorce after they had a son in 1904 she accused him of domestic violence and also of having like improper relations with her daughter isolt which was like the only person to like validate anything that she said was yates so it's really kind of it's unsure as to what's true um the divorce wasn't granted so arguably there wasn't enough evidence for any of it and arguably yates was just like really really bitter that mcbride Mm. had like taken his his girl so yeah they they separated and um she got custody of their son so yates and gone's friendship had ended for a bit but they met up in Paris in 1908 and they finally had sex after all these years <laughs> of of Yates trying so hard to get into her bed. <laughs> oh my God. They finally had sex. She just, she just um, decided that it's time. Yeah. Um, but then she kind of afterwards was like, actually, I just want to be friends. Um, I think we have, she, she maintained throughout it all that she just had like, they had a spiritual connection. They had like a spiritual marriage in inverted commas because of like their links with the spiritualism. But like, yeah, she just wanted to be friends. So they, Mm. they kind of didn't really talk much again after that, that kind of ruined their relationship a little bit. Obviously the Easter rising in 
1916. That's an, that's the next kind of major event in, in her life. Yeah. Um, John McBride uh, was pretty important in organising it. And he was one of the, I think it was like 16 generals that were like executed after it. She then returned to um, Dublin after he died and began to like use his name again which she thought it would give her a bit of like kudos in revolutionary circles right and then she kept up with her like revolution like revolutionary fight and actually got arrested herself for six months in 1918 uh for supposedly being involved in a pro-german plot right yeah in august 1922 she started the women's prisoners defense league um which campaigned to get female prisoners out of men's prisons um, and supported families who wanted news from inmates. So she fought for like prison reform, for female prisoners. Alongside, um, she developed a friendship with um, a really famous suffragist um, and Sinn Féin supporter called Charlotte Despard. Mm-hmm. And they obviously together work for prisoners' rights. They organise vigils and they publish stories of like the tragic deaths in prison. So her early... like revolutionary lectures kind of came back and she like did more stuff with like her writing and like publishing stories of like the irish people's plight Mm -hmm. all of this combined with their opposition to the government meant that they were labeled mad and madam desperate which i thought was quite a funny little nickname wow Um, yeah she was arrested again in 1923 on the charges of painting seditious banners and preparing anti-government literature but she was released after 20 days so i'm not sure if that's because they didn't have enough evidence or or what they they had a lot of like they had lawyers fighting for them unfortunately well not unfortunately she lived a really long life um she died in 1953 aged i think 86 and her daughter isolt died just a year later obviously excluded from the will she she had actually put um her so her first son george she'd asked for his like baby shoes to be interred with her and so that is maud gone famously independent and radical all her life she stuck to all of her morals it's a little bit crazy i'm not gonna lie with all the the spiritualism and the occultism but yeah yeah that's a bit yeah (laughs) but she was just i just love the idea of like comparing her to helen and being like she was so beautiful Mm. and she was almost starting wars with her beauty by like rallying people for the irish republican cause and you know she she fought to like educate people on what was actually happening in ireland obviously in the u.s and like to expose the kind of lies of the british press so yeah she's a super interesting woman i just think she's probably just very it's hard to explain she she does seem like like a valkyrie like um yates described her like i can fully understand why she would have given him that impression she seems like fiercely independent yeah. and like her own person and like nothing would have got in her way at all. So that yeah, that's why I really like her. Yeah, no, she sounds she well, she sounds really interesting and I've never heard of her, which yeah. is a bit mad. I've heard of McBride. Um, well yeah, as well. But yeah, no. No, I mean like ev- obviously uh, everyone's heard of, of Yates, some people have heard of McBride. Some people will have heard of Lady yeah, Gregory because yeah. obviously, like, 
she was just like the muse but like she was behind like you know a lot of the the most famous poems you know from from yeats it's yeats come on he's amazing (laughs) and you know she was the one that that influenced that and she she basically had yeats under her thumb like her whole life which i kind of love that's insane yeah yeah Yeah. um i don't know i don't even know what to say to follow up (laughs) i think I, i love that you've done a bit of an irish republican woman because i've wanted i've had someone in mind yeah. for quite a while that i haven't necessarily wanted to do because i didn't want to look like i was falling down on one side or the other or yeah. anything like that but no i think you've inspired me i think yeah I will, um, well i mean obviously it. like um but yeah i'm no. british like I, I i don't like injustice so obviously i think what she was doing with exposing yeah. it is like great but obviously like i yeah, don't really have a position on like Irish nationalism. I do, you know. So I just thought, in terms mm-hmm. of like how she fought for it and how she was so driven and determined, yeah, that's why I quite like her because she's, you know, she yeah. stuck to her morals and she was all about like liberation and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I love it. I think solid, solid choice. I love hearing about how much of a crybaby Yates yeah, was. Basically, I, I didn't know uh, that about him. Another little tidbit. Yeah. Um, he, you know, after one of the times that he proposed to Maud Gon, um, he also, uh, uh, he also proposed to her daughter Isolt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. stop! Um, she obviously no. turned him down. Um, because yeah, she was like twenty two or twenty three at the time. And he'd known her That's since so she up. was four years old. So it's a bit dodgy. Oh but yeah. Yeah, no. I'm glad she said yeah. no on that one. But no, yeah, well done. I love I love how excited you were. Oh, this is so much and, to uh, talk about. And that lived up to it. Yeah, no, well, this this is what she was saying to me before we recorded everyone, was Helen was like, it's so long. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, don't even know how long I've been talking for right now. But yeah, I mean, it was also fun because no, I, mean, I mean, I don't know how long I we've got been going. to like talk about obviously some of the literature side of it some of the like the poems and the the play because yeah. obviously like as i said i did this for my literature undergrad it's what i'm really interested in so mm-hmm. like yeah. there's so much you can learn about people from the like literature about that's written about them um yeah, yeah. obviously poetry is one of the most personal like art forms so yeah super yeah. interesting no it worked for me i've just been sat here drinking a cider she's been kicking back and relaxing I have. I've literally just been sat here having yeah. a drink in a, as we can drink here because we're not in a state studio. We might be. It might be echoey and it might not be the best quality, but yeah. we have alcohol. It might be very precariously balanced, but uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. sat in bed right now. So yeah, I've been watching good. this microphone the whole time, hoping it doesn't yeah. fall. I what? said, but I'm Sorry. sat in bed right now, so it's all good. Mm. Exactly. Sorry, that was a delay. I was. I had a mouthful of cider. Delish. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to go yeah. make a um, make a gin and tonic. Oh, classic. This is the thing about this. What what this whole quarantine thing? What is time? What day oh is it? Oh my god, I don't even. I, I don't drink, even know. You have a drink. We've all this week. We've been trying to get this recorded and just had just various. Had, yeah, we've either not sure been in the right is, mindset so... or like we've been waiting yeah. on finding out what our uni's gonna do and like we had a mock exam. Yeah. Yesterday evening. <laughs> For an exam that I don't think is going to be for, like, another two months. I Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's moved from next month to at least so, probably... I mean, obviously, July. like everyone else, we're just uh, very, yeah. very up in the air. So, but we are... Obviously, we've got nothing else to do. So we're going to we're gonna do this uh, yeah. once a week. 
So stay tuned because it's we yeah we are it's fun. we are moving from bi-weekly to every week and yeah you can look forward to hearing us in your isolation if you are enjoying it because yeah we're gonna have one big episode out every week maybe some other surprises we're working on yeah I think it's given us both something to be sane in these mad times give and us I some think um, <laughs> yeah it gives us something to do uh, so we hope you've been enjoying it and that this helps you in some possible way yeah. and that it gives you a bit of a like a, an hour's escape from all the yeah. madness even if it's that you're even if you're cycling to work, I want to give a shout out to Joe who cycles to work every day and works in a nursing home on the front lines of this whole thing. She listens to oh, us wow. every week while she cycles. So shout out to Joe. Um, I hope you, I hope that's made you smile Happy a bit. You. And yeah, I think we're all in this together a bit. Yeah. You know? um, so. Yeah, it's a tough time for everyone. <laughs> no one knows what what the hell's going on. But um, we hope you like. No. We hope, we hope this brings you some some peace or some joy or. I don't know, hope you find it interesting, I guess. Yeah. If if you have any people that you think we should um we should cover, you should definitely yeah. keep sending that to us. Yeah. Um send it to our email which is uh, I can't remember it. Tenth Muse Podcast at yeah. gmail.com. Tenth podcast I know that one. Gmail.com. <laughs> Siobhan knows it better than I do. I I'm just used to I usually reel that. Or off, you can yeah. DM us um, on um, you know, Instagram we're on... or Twitter, which is at tenth music. Yeah. And I think that's the same on yeah. both of those. We'll put our social media things in the description for this week, I guess. And then if you've got any any suggestions, give us a shout because we like I say we're recording more, so we'd love any suggestions yeah, you've 100%. got. And if you want to hear us muse muse over one of your muses, that Ooh. would be cool. <laughs> but yeah, so Hang in there, everyone. It's a mad time yeah. for us all. Give us your ideas. Let us know what you're thinking. Leave, you know, like, review, subscribe, everything we tell you to do. 100%. Week. And don't yeah. remember, uh, don't forget to uh, eat the rich. <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> don't remember. Don't forget to eat the rich. As um, famous Marxist uh, Britney Spears said, redistribute the wealth. <laughs> And on that note, we will leave you to it. And uh, we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.